Thank you for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. We're excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. We just wanna make you aware of a couple things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks by searching at Hope Church LV. Also, be sure to check out our website, hopechurchonline.com. There, you can find out more information about who we are and where we are headed as a church. Once again, thank you for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. Please let us know if there's any questions you have or any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. In 1857, off the coast of South Carolina, there was a hurricane. There was a ship named the SS Central America that sailed right into that hurricane. The hurricane obviously overcame that ship and sunk it. When the ship sunk, human life was lost. 425 people lost their lives in the sinking of the SS Central America. But also lost in the sinking of that ship was a treasure. It was a treasure that had been unearthed from the gold rush in California. And the treasure was over three tons of gold that in today's dollars would be worth over $400 million. So in 1857, off the coast of South Carolina, that treasure sunk to the bottom of the ocean. It stayed there. Till the 1980s, when shipwreck-obsessed engineer Tommy G. Thompson built an underwater robot named Nemo to pinpoint the Central America and then to dive 8,000 feet below the sea to find and recover the treasure. Here's the way the Washington Post wrote about it. He spent years, talking about Tommy Thompson, he spent years studying the ship's fateful voyage and developing the technology to plunge deeper in the ocean than anyone had ever before to retrieve its treasure. The treasure trove is the richest in American history and the deep water salvage effort the most ambitious undertaken anywhere. When I came across that story, here's what I thought about. For 130 years, off the coast of South Carolina, we're not talking about the other side of the world, for 130 years, just off the coast of the United States of America, there sat a treasure worth almost a half a billion dollars. Can you imagine how many times people sailed right over it? All those people that go to the beaches of South Carolina every year for vacation. Can you imagine when they read the article? All the times they skimmed right over this treasure and yet nobody ever found it. Until somebody was willing to dive deep enough 
to find it. When I thought of it like that, I thought about what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 11 about God. Listen to what he said. Paul says, oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. God, how unsearchable, the word unsearchable in the Greek language is a word that means marked by being impossible to find or discover the depths or the end of, meaning you can, you can look, but you're never going to find the end of it. He says his, his, his knowledge is unsearchable, his judgments is unfathomable. The word unfathomable is a word that means it's a compound word. You take the word without and the word ex- Explore and you put them together, and it means it, the depths of the riches of the knowledge and the wonder and the glory. Here's what he's saying you can search all you want to search, and you're never going to exhaust the riches of the wonder and the glory of who God is. Here, here's the reality every day, every day. This treasure is here. And every day, God invites us to explore the depths of who he is and discover the treasure of his glory. And here's the reality. Most of us, every day, we just pass right by. We just pass right by. The glory of the treasure, of the wonder, and the knowledge of God. It's, it's right there. It's right there. And every day he's inviting us to explore the depths. And just like those people off the coast of South Carolina, we're so busy doing our own thing, we're just coasting right on by. Here's a reality statement. God is bigger than our ability to comprehend. And yet, he has invited us into a soul-satisfying pursuit of eternally discovering the wonder of who he is. Listen, nothing and no one will ever satisfy your soul like God. I'm going to say that again. Nothing and no one will ever satisfy your soul like God. And he's invited you to pursue him. I love the way John Piper wrote about it. Listen to what John Piper said. He said, people are starving for the greatness of God. But most of them would not give this diagnosis of their troubled lives. We don't realize that's what we're missing. We would say it's all this other stuff. What we're really missing and starving for is the greatness of God. He says, the majesty of God is an unknown cure. 
There are far more popular prescriptions on the market, but the benefit of any other remedy is brief and shallow. You know what we all need today? We need a good dose of the greatness and the glory of God. You know why the stuff in this world seems so big? Because we have such a small view of our God. But if we would be revived with a view of the greatness and the glory and the transcendence of God, it would change everything about the way we see our lives. So, here's what we're going to do this weekend. We're going to dive in. For the next 11 weeks, we're going to take a deep dive into the glory of God and we're going to do it by 11 weeks we're going to study one chapter in the Bible for 11 weeks we're going to be in one chapter that's only got 21 verses 21 verses we're going to dig deep we're going to dive deep for 11 weeks into 21 verses and we're going to Try to dig out the glory of God in these verses. You say, what chapter are we going to be in? Well, probably not the one you thought of. <laughs> Psalm 145. If you've got your Bible, you can go ahead and turn to Psalm 145. Psalm 145 is the beginning of the end of the book of Psalms. It kicks off the last five chapters of the book of Psalms, which is this hymn book that David, God used David to write and inspire. But what's interesting about Psalm 145 is Psalm 145 is the only psalm out of all 150 psalms called a psalm of praise of David. There are other psalms attributed to David. This is the only one that's described as a psalm of praise of David, meaning most scholars to believe what this inscription is telling us is that Psalm 145 was David's favorite song. This was the song that David would turn to when things got tough, when things got difficult, when things got challenging. David would sit down. Remember, we found David in the Old Testament. He was a little boy playing his harp. He would be brought in for the king. David was a musician. This is the song that God used David to write by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. This is the song that David would run to and he would play, that he would meditate on, that he would rest in in difficult times. So we're going to take 11 weekends and we're going to dig into this song. What are the components of this deep dive? Well, there are four of them. They give them to you. Number one, 11 sermons out of 21 verses. We're going deep into these 21 verses. We're going to dive down to uncover the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God revealed in this chapter. Number two, we're asking every small group to dedicate some time to Psalm 145. Now, maybe you're following along with our, our sermon-led small groups, sermon-based small groups, where you get the material and we send it to you every week. That's what you're going to be in, Psalm 145. If you're in a small group and you're studying something else right now, totally okay. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Take a few minutes in every one of your small group gatherings to lend some discussion to this thing of Psalm 145. Use it as kind of an introduction for your group. However you choose to do it, all small groups are going to be talking about Psalm 145. Here's the third thing we're going to do. You ready for this? We're going to all memorize the 145th Psalm together. 21 verses. We're going to all memorize it together. 
you say, wait a minute, I thought that's what we did over in kids' church, right? <laughs> they give memory verses over there. Isn't that kids' church? No, that, see, that's the problem. We've relegated this thing of memorizing Scripture to kids' church. But you need to understand, the big church Bible is where we get the idea from. This is what teaches us to memorize Scripture. Let me show it to you. In Proverbs chapter 7, this is just one of the places, and know this, as we read the, this, these verses, this is in, in the first seven chapters of Proverbs, which Proverbs was written to give us wisdom about how to live life, all of the first seven chapters all give us this same command. You'll find it written differently, but in every one of the first seven chapters of Proverbs, here's what the Bible says. Let's do it. My son, keep my words. It's an imperative. Meaning it's not an option, it's a command. Keep my words and treasure my commandments where? Say that out loud. Within you. Keep my commandments. Again, imperative, command. Keep my commandments and live. It means enjoy life. Get the most out of it. And my teachings as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Again, it's an imperative. And then this last phrase, read it out loud. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Not a suggestion, command, imperative. Over and over and over again in Scripture, we are commanded to take God's Word and memorize it. So for 11 weeks together as a church family, we're going to memorize all 21 verses from Psalm 145. And if by the end of the 11 weeks, you can't recite Psalm 145, we rescind your membership in our fellowship. No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. But we are going to do this together. And we've given you some tools to be able to do this. I want you to watch this quick video to show you the tools that we've created to help you memorize this passage of Scripture. Hey, Hope Church. As you know, all summer long, we're studying Psalms chapter 145 in a series called Deep Dive. Part of the study is what we're calling the Psalm 145 Challenge. We're asking everyone who calls Hope Church home to memorize the 21 verses that make up this incredible chapter of God's Word. But don't worry, we've got you covered with some great tools to help you on your scripture memory journey this summer. Check them out. First, we've designed scripture memory cards to help keep Psalm 145 in front of you all throughout the day. These are handy cards that you can keep in your Bible as a bookmark to reference all summer as you're learning the verses. Or you can put the card somewhere you'll see each day, maybe on the bathroom mirror so you can see it as you get ready in the morning. Or, in your car, you can memorize scripture, even at a stoplight. The second tool is one that will definitely help you get these verses stuck in your head. Our Hope Creative team has reworked some of your favorite songs through the decades with the words of Psalm 145. These are jingles, available for free on our website, that you can listen to while you go for a run. These are also great songs to listen to with your kids as you drive around town. Or, keep up with these scripture songs on a Bluetooth speaker around the house. Alexa, play Psalm 145. Another tool we hope you utilize this summer is a free mobile app called Versus. This is a great interactive app with fun scripture games and easy to use ways to help memorize Psalm 145. All summer long, we'll be giving more ways for you to engage with the challenge on our social networks. We hope you enjoy the journey as we dive deep into this chapter of God's Word. And we're praying that our whole church is up for the challenge of memorizing Psalm 145. Awesome. Amen? Now, 
We've also given you this morning when you came in a brochure that really is a pamphlet to help you understand the why and the how of memorizing Scripture. We're praying that God would use this to build this discipline into all of our lives, but this gives you some more insight into how to do this. I've already been using the Verses app. It's incredible. You'll love it. It's a download for free. And I've also already been listening to the song. The first song took the first five verses of Psalm 145, and it's to Bruno Mars, Up Down, what's it called, Teddy? Up down funk, right? Yeah, up down funk. So it took the, the, first, the first five verses, put it to that song. You're going to love it. It'll help you remember these verses as you memorize them. So if you're in, right, if you're ready to say, hey, I'm in. I accept the Psalm 145 challenge. Say amen. amen. Okay, we just recorded that via video and audio. So we have it. We have it on record. Now, the other thing we're going to encourage you to do is we're going to encourage you to, in your God time daily, to use Psalm 145 as you read in your daily devotion. Not every day, but a couple of times a week. Go back to Psalm 145 in your God time. So from small group to weekend sermons to scripture memory to God time, we're diving deep into Psalm 145. You ready to jump in? Then let's jump in. Psalm 145 verses 1 and 2. That's all we're going to look at this morning. Verse 1 and 2. Let's read them out loud. Here's what it says. I will extol you, my God, O King. And I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and I will praise your name forever and ever. I want to ask and answer two questions out of these verses. And these two questions that we're going to ask and answer today are the same questions we're going to be asking and answering over the next five weeks of this series out of the first half of this chapter. So here's the first question. What do these verses tell us about God. What do these verses tell us about God? And before I answer that question, let me remind you or tell you something that you need to know. If you are not aware of this, we have an enemy in this world. If you know that, say amen. We have an enemy. And here's something you need to know about our enemy. He is a liar. He's a liar. Let me read it to you out of the Bible. Jesus said this about our enemy in John chapter 8. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature. For he is a, say it out loud, liar and the father of all lies. Meaning this, the way he works in this world is destruction by deception. He will lie to you and say, this is what you need to be happy. This is what you need to be successful. This is what you need to be fulfilled. This is what you need to be content. This is what you need to have peace. And as soon as you grab a hold of it, you know what you figure out it was? Lie. Because it never delivers what he promises. There are marriages that have been destroyed. There are families that have been ripped apart. There are jobs and occupations and professions that have been lost. There are ministry platforms that have been wrecked. There are lives that have been ruined all because of the lies of the enemy. One of the primary ways he lies to us is he lies about the person and character of God. Let me give you some examples of the ways he lies about who God is. Maybe you've heard some of these. Maybe you believe some of these. The enemy would lie to us and tell us that God is simply a ruthless judge 
who demands perfection and hates pleasure. This lie of the enemy portrays God, and this is the way many people view God, as a cosmic killjoy who's up there with lightning bolts just waiting, just ready to zap you. As soon as you deviate one, he's got him. And that God takes great pleasure in swatting people like flies. You know what that is? It's a lie. It's not who God is. Here's another lie of the enemy. He says that God is too big for my problems. He's this big CEO of the universe. And the little things, the details of my life are not important enough to be on his radar. That God doesn't care about me. We may never say that out loud. But have you ever, you ever been at a place where life got really hard and you really wondered, does God really care? Is God really concerned? Does he really love me? You know what that is? It's a lie of the enemy. It's a lie. Here's another one. God exists to make me happy. This is the view of God that presents him like a genie in a bottle. If you just rub the lamp the right way, if you just say the right words, if you just have enough faith, then you'll be healthy, wealthy, and wise that God will give you everything you want. He'll give you a bigger house and a promotion at work and a a better looking person in your relationship. He'll just give you everything you want. Now, some of us may never say that out loud, that that's what we believe about God. But let me tell you how I know some of us have bought into that lie. Because as soon as something difficult comes up in our lives, we almost go to God like, hey, what's the deal here? You promised me that I would never suffer. You promised me I wouldn't have difficulty. You promised me I wouldn't have challenges. We've bought into the lie that God is this genie that exists to make me happy. Here's another one. You hear this one a lot of times after sports events. God is just the old man upstairs. You heard the sports hero have the big celebration at the end of the game. Well, I just want to thank the old man upstairs. Like God is some old grandfather in the sky sitting in a rocking chair just wanting everybody to be happy and get along and you to score the touchdown. Here's maybe the worst of all of them is when the enemy lies to us and said God is just like us with limitations. Meaning, yeah, he'll forgive, but there's a limit. Yeah, he's merciful, but there's a limit. Yeah, he's gracious, but oh, there's a limit. You know what all that is? It's lies. The man who discipled me, Clyde Cranford, taught me that the key to the Christian life is exposing the lies of the enemy to the truth of God and by faith believing the truth. What we're going to do over the next 11 weekends is we're going to look at the truth about who God is Let it reveal and expose the lies of the enemy and cultivate faith in our lives. So I want to give you three things these first two verses tell us about God. Here's the first one. God is God. God is God. Say that out loud with me. God is God. The first title that David uses to address the one who is the object of his praise in this psalm is God. Look at it in verse 1. I will extol you, my God. The word God is a Hebrew word that we've transliterated into an English word. It's the word that we say like this, Elohim. It's used over 2,600 times in the Old Testament. It is the most common term used to describe the person and character of God. 
As it's used in the Old Testament, this word God commonly designates the one true and living God. Meaning there's not many gods, there's one God. And his name is Elohim, Yahweh, God. It's who he is. But it's interesting, this word Elohim is also a plural noun. Think about that for a second. Elohim, one true and living God. But it's a plural Hebrew noun. What does that make you think of? God the Father. God the Son. God the Holy Spirit. Even in this first name, we see the transcendence and the wonder of God. He's God. He's the one true and living God. But he manifests himself in three distinct persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It's why in Genesis 1 when it talks about creation and says in the beginning God, that God created the world. But then it says that God said let us make man. Who's us? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. You say explain that. How can there be one God and three persons? I don't Give me an explanation. I can't. You see, there's some things about God that are just so big that it just doesn't really compute in my brain. And that's a good thing. Amen? If, if everything about God fit inside of our brain, that's not a very big God. But God is bigger than our ability to comprehend. But don't let that disturb you. Listen, I also don't understand how a brown cow eats green grass, drinks blue water, produces white milk that becomes yellow butter, orange cheese, and strawberry ice cream. But that doesn't keep me from enjoying it. Just because I can't understand everything about God doesn't mean I can't dive deep and, and be, receive joy and satisfaction from the, the bigness of God. Listen, it's fitting that this first title David chooses for his song is first because it's also the first title ever used of God in the Bible. The first four words of the Bible in Genesis chapter 1 are what? In the beginning, what? You know what that word is? Elohim. Meaning when the beginning began, he already was. He always has been and he always will be. A.W. Pink writes this about that phrase. This is what he said. In the beginning, God, this is the foundation truth of all real theology. God is the great originator and initiator. It is the ignoring of this, which is the basic error in all human schemes. False systems of theology and philosophy begin with man and seek to work up to God. But this is a turning of things upside down. We must, in all our thinking, begin with God and work down to man. Here's what that means. The meaning of life will only be understood as we begin with God. And this is important in the world that we live in today because we live in a world that is very man-centered We've made humanity the center of the story. We've made it sound like it's all about us. And this has affected everything about the way we live, even inside the church. We have a man-centered way that we live our lives, believing that God exists to make us happy. We have a man-centered view in much of our preaching today, starting with felt needs and trying
trying to throw some verses at it. We have a a man-centered theology in our worship where we come to church not for the glory and honor of God, but we look for the place that meets all of our needs and makes us happy and suits us the best. We we have a man-centered view in our singing much of the songs that we sing instead of centering on the glory and the transcendence of God are all about what God's doing for me. We have a man-centered view, but David begins by reminding us that life does not begin with us. Life begins with God. God is God. And we must come to the reality that he is God. And here's what I've discovered in my own life. When, When God is most glorified in my life, then my life is most satisfied. I find fulfillment in God being God. The enemy would say, the only way for you to find fulfillment is in in God, God meeting your needs. No, 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 no. That's a lie. We find fulfillment. What we need today is a good dose of the transcendent glory and greatness of God. God is God. Number two. God is king. Say that out loud with me. God is king. Did you hear it? David said, I will extol you, my God, O king. The word king is used over 2,500 times in the Old Testament. In general, it describes an individual with power and authority. When used to describe God, it describes him ruling over his people. Synonyms for this word king are lord, captain, prince, chief, ruler. This word, this title, king, refers to the sovereignty of God. And here's what that means. He rules over all. Let me say it another way. He is in total control. You see, the the enemy lies to us. Here's what he tells us. Yeah, God created the world, but here's how it worked. God kind of created it like a ball that he pushed off a mountainside, and now this whole thing of life and creation is just tumbling down the mountainside, and God is sitting in the recesses of heaven wringing his hands. Oh, my, I hope this turns out the way I intended That God is wringing his hands over the enemy who's at work here wondering, man, am I going to win? Are we going to rule? Am I going to reign? No, listen, God is not just the creator of everything. The Bible says God is king, which means he's not somebody that just started it and is now sitting back passively watching it all play out. No, it says that God is sitting on the throne of the universe. Let me read it to you out of Isaiah chapter 66. Listen to what it says. Isaiah 66 says, thus says the Lord, heaven is is my, say it out loud, and the earth is my, what? Get this picture. God is sitting on the throne of the heaven. Heaven is his throne. You know what the earth is? Where he props his feet. Look what he goes on to say. Where then is a house you can build for me? Here's what that means. What kind of box you want to put me in? Uh, I'm sitting on the heavens. I'm propping my feet up on the earth. Everything is under my control. Oh, here's what that means. Listen, child of God. Whatever 
you're facing today. Whatever circumstance, whatever situation, it may be in your health, it may be in your job, it may be in your finances, it may be in your marriage, it may be in your relationships, it may be in your family. Here's what you need to know today. He's sitting on the throne. God is in control. He has not forgotten you. He is sovereign and he's ruling over all. You can trust him. You can trust him. You can have faith in him. Don't let the lie of the enemy tell you that he's forgotten you. Don't let the lie of the enemy tell you it's out. It may look like it's out of control, but get this picture in your mind. Listen, I was watching the Golden Knights last night. God help us. We need some help. I think you ought to pray for them. I really do. We need some help. We're going to turn it around, though. We're going to be all right. We're going to turn it around. But I was watching the Golden Lights last night. And there were points in that game. I'm not sitting like this. I'm sitting like this, man. I'm up here. Why? Because I'm nervous, man. I'm straight. Even though I preach, don't be anxious. I was being anxious. I was stressed. What's going on? Come on. Go, Knights, go. Listen, the stuff that's going on in your life right now, God's not sitting like this. He's like, why? Because he's got it all under control. He's king. He's king. Here's the third thing. God is king. God is God. Here's the third one. God is knowable. Say that out loud with me. God is knowable. Oh, don't don't miss this word. Don't miss this word. Don't miss this word. Look at it. Verse 1. I will extol you my God. It'd been one thing if David had said, I will extol you, the God. But he used that little word, my God. The word my is a personal pronoun that emphasizes relationship. Let me tell you why that's important. How many dads in the room? Raise your hand. If you're a dad, raise your hand. All of them. Keep them up. Hold them up. Hands up. All of the room. Every section, there's dads. You know what you are to me? You're a dad. You can put your hands down. I thank God for it. You're a dad. But when I got a problem, when I got a situation in my life where I need wisdom, I need counsel, I need help, I'm not calling a dad. I'm calling my dad. My dad lives at 37 Valencia Court, Muscle Shoals, Alabama. When it gets difficult, I'm calling my dad. Why? Because my dad is relationally connected to me. My dad has invested in me. My dad believes in me. My dad cares about me. It's one thing to be a dad, but it's something altogether different to be my dad. David said, my God. He's not a God. He's not the God. He's my God. Meaning this, you can run to him today. Whatever you're facing, you can run to him today. Listen, if you don't know him today, if you don't have a relationship with him, you can have a relationship with him today. Look what, Go back to Isaiah 66. Look at this verse we read a minute ago. Thus says the Lord, heaven's my throne, earth is my footstool. Where's the house you can build for me and where's the place that I may rest? Look at the next verse. For my hand made all these things. 
Thus all these things came to being, declares the Lord. But, 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 oh, this is so good. To this one I will. What's the next word? Look. Here's what that means. God is sitting on his throne of the universe. God is in absolute sovereign control. Everything is under his authority. But here's what this verse teaches us. He'll look. The word look means pay attention to. It means fix your focus on. Meaning this. This God that's sovereign sitting on the throne of the universe will take all of his attention. And he'll fix it right on who? To him who is humble and contrite and who trembles at my word. He's not some God out there in the far off distant recesses of the universe. He's a God that you can know that will focus all of his attention on you. Listen, we don't deserve that, but because of Jesus, we can have that. If you don't know this God today, the Bible says our sin separates us from God. If you don't know God today, today because of Jesus, you can have your sin forgiven and you can be brought by faith into a personal relationship with God. Today, if you do know God today, some of you today, you know what you need to do this morning? You need to just make a fresh run to God. You need to make a fresh run to the Father and draw from the resources. You need to stop skimming by the surface and you need to go deep with who he is. Well, there's the first question. I got to answer the last question in just a few seconds, all right? Here's the second question. How should we respond to who he is? If that's who he is, then how should we respond? David gives us three ways. He uses three words, extol, bless, and praise. The first word, extol, I will extol you. What does it mean? Here's the statement. I should honor God above all else. I should honor God above all else. The word extol is a word that means to honor The root of this word means to raise something up high. Here's what this means. Now listen carefully. God is not my buddy. God is not my co-pilot. God is not my homeboy. God is not the old man upstairs. God is not to be relegated to some box or compartment of my life that I want to put him in. The scripture says here about God because he's God, because he's king, because he's invited me into relationship with himself, that I am to place him in a position of honor above everything else in my life. Paul wrote it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Look at this. Paul said, so then whether you eat or drink or whatever you may do, do it all for the glory and honor of God. Meaning this, if you're a student, Your most important objective at school is not popularity, it's not athletics, it's not even your academic success. The most important thing for you at school is the honor and glory of God. If you work a job, the most important thing for you at your work is not making money, it's not paying the bills, it's not getting promoted, it's not career success, it's not retirement planning, it's the glory and the honor of God. In your home, where you live, your home, the biggest need for you, the, the, biggest, uh, the, the biggest objective is not that you get your needs met. It's not that you get satisfied. It's not that you're happy. It's the honor and the glory of God. As a citizen of this country, what's most important is not your rights. It's not your privileges. It's not your political ideology. It's the honor. 
honor and the glory of God. Why? Because he's God and because he's king, I should honor him above all else. Secondly, I should submit to God in all things. It's the word bless. Bless. The word bless comes from a root word that means to bend the knee. When you come into the presence of a king, you're to, you're to bow. It's a submission to their rule and authority. And David says, I'm to bless you forever and ever. It describes ongoing, continuous rhythm of my life. But he also says, I'm to bless you every day. Describing every minute of a 24-hour day. Because he's God, because he's king, in every moment of my life, I'm to bend my will in submission to the will of God. So here's the question. Is there any area of my life that I'm not living in submission to my God and King? Think about it in your life. Is there any area where you're not living in submission? Maybe it's your words, your actions, your reactions, a relationship, your habits, your attitudes. You know what needs to happen for some of you today? A fresh surrender to the will of God in a specific area of your life. Is there something God's showing you right now? You know it, God knows it. It's not his will. You know it. You know it. But you're choosing to do what you want to do rather than what you know God and his word. You know what you've done? You believe the lie of the enemy. That you know more than God. You think you know more than God. You wouldn't say that. But with your actions, with your choices, with your life, you're saying, God, I know more than you. You've bought the lie. Listen to me. The lie of the enemy always leads to destruction. It always does. You're headed for a train wreck. But here's what you can do this morning. You can make a fresh surrender of your life to the will of God in that area and yield it over to him and enjoy the blessing and the favor of God in a new way today. Here's the last thing, and I'm done. I should praise God at all times. Extol, bless, praise. Praise God at all times. This word at its root, praise, means to shine. It means to shout. But its most common usage in the Old Testament is associated with the ministry of the Levites who praise God. So I'm going to invite our worship team to go ahead and come and move into place because we're about to practice this. We're about to do what the scripture says. Because he's God, because he's king, we're about to praise him. We're going to sing to him. You see, singing is not just something we do at church because somebody came up with the idea. The Bible instructs us in response to the greatness of who he is, we're to sing songs of praise to him. But I love what he said. I'm to praise him forever and ever. Here's what that means. Good circumstances, bad circumstances. I still praise him. Why? Because I know he's in control. It may not look like it right now, but God, I'm going to praise you for what is, and I'm going to praise you for what will be because you're my God and you're my king. So we're going to praise him together this morning. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for speaking to us today from your word. And God, I pray 
that you've been lifted high. I pray that your glory, your transcendence, your majesty has been on display. And I pray that in so doing, God, your people are encouraged and comforted and challenged and convicted. As you sit quietly before the Lord this morning, our team's about to lead us in this song of praise. And when they do, we've got pastors that are here at the front. These steps are opened up like an altar. You can come and be alone with God in this altar, maybe make a fresh surrender. If you don't know Jesus this morning, if you don't know this great God who's in control, you want him to be your God. When we stand to sing in just a moment, our pastors are here at the front. You come to any one of us. All you have to say is this, I need Jesus. And we'll have somebody sit down with you and open a Bible and show you how you can begin a relationship with God today. For others of you, if you want to pray with one of our pastors about something in your job, your health, your family, we're here. You come. But for the rest of us, we're going to offer up this crescendo of praise to our God. Lord, use this time for your glory and honor. God, be praised in this place. And as you're praised and uplifted, would you draw men and women to yourself? To the name of Jesus, we pray. Let's stand.